0: Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerability Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato, where we help men communicate and build empathy. All right, Albert, here we go again. It's a lovely Saturday afternoon and we're down in a heat wave. The West Coast is, is doing all right, but just wanted to check in with you man and, and see how things are going. How's uh how's the last uh, week been for you, man?
1: It was it was really a, an eventful week. Uh, last nice. weekend was my birthday. Did we talk about yeah. my birthday? We did. We did have a birthday episode for you. We did. Okay. Oh yeah. All right. That's true. <laughs> that, so yeah.
0: <laughs> the birthday like strikes back.
1: That was a wonderful surprise. That was incredible. And then the week, uh, the week was was busy and productive and good. And and uh, yesterday, um, uh, as as um, everybody knows who watches the news or follows uh, this story of important people in our country, we lost a, a great American, John Lewis, mm-hmm. a representative, congressman from Georgia, uh, one of the truly legendary civil rights figures in our country. And um, I, I know our guest today mentioned it actually when we were doing our little intro, and we'll probably talk a little bit later, but I did have a little uh, a little story that uh, was fresh in my brain this morning because I was watching the the tributes on television And just hearing his voice when they would cut to him speaking um, was just making me cry. I mean, there was no other way to put it. And one of the reasons is that about six or seven, maybe a little bit longer years ago, one of my clients that I work with um, got a honorary award of some sort at uh, NYU in New York, New York University. And one of the uh, fellow honorees that day was John Lewis. And he was already a hero of mine. I mean, I just you know I had read a lot about him and his relationship with Martin Luther King. I think he was the the youngest speaker at the the uh, the March on Washington, the famous uh, you know I Have a Dream speech day that Martin Luther King uh, gave. And and John Lewis was the youngest one. He was very close with uh, with Martin Luther King, youngest one to give that uh, speech that day. So I was just thinking, oh, I'm not going to really have a chance. He'll be surrounded by so many people. I walked out in the hallway. And I, I guess I was looking for the, the men's room or something or other, and he was just standing there like looking out a window and he just turned out here and he just looked at me and he just said hello to me. Hello, he was like, hello, son. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like standing with John Lewis. It's just the two of us, I have to say something. And I just told him, wow, sir, you have no idea just how much I admire you, how inspiring you are to me. And he um, asked me some questions and, and I, I don't know what had happened, but something had happened that week in the news. It was like a school shooting. It was something really dark. And I was like in a really not good mood about, about America and where we were at. And I just sort of said something to him like, this country is really just going down the wrong track. It's just so horrible. And I started to get a little emotional about it. And he just, he literally grabbed my two hands, like held them. Um, and and he just like looked him, looked me in the eye, and he was sort of like at a, 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 like a fatherly moment, sort of said, "You know, we've been in much worse places in this country, and you absolutely should never never think that you don't have hope or that you 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 can't uh, you can't change the situation that we're in with our hope and working together and and you know looking and caring for each other." And it was just like, oh my God, I was getting like a personal moment with this man of just just the most incredible wisdom and depth and beauty and so anyway it was it was really an emotional moment to hear this news but also he's just one of those persons that the more you know and the more you learned about him uh, you're only going to feel like you need to take more action and, and do more to to make a difference and matter of fact i actually heard there's a, a documentary that just came out uh uh, John, it's called John Lewis. Uh, good trouble or something like that. He was always talking about making good trouble uh, with, with uh, your activism. Um, it just came out, so I'm gonna have to go look for that. I think it's it's on Amazon Prime and some other places. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, just like you said, you know, not losing hope is so
0: important, especially now. I mean, you turn on the news and something's gonna agitate you. Um, I know for me, like it's definitely been that way. I got, I actually had to delete some news apps off my phone. I was just like, too much, too much, and um, yeah, we just can't we can't give up hope because there is something to hold on to, and there is generally good people out there that want to do well. It's just you know we gotta we gotta fight for them. So I'm excited to see that documentary. I'll, I'll catch it. I got Amazon Prime, so it's definitely something we can do over the weekend. Um, yeah, man, I, I'm really excited to to talk to to
1: evan today and
0: um you know tell me a little bit about uh
1: you know why you chose to have him on the show albert yes uh evan uh Blanchin, you'll hear his full name is mm-hmm. um people know who follow the the instagram denim uh scene a bit know him as shades of indigo and i followed him actually pretty early on he just someone who always has the coolest clothes and uh as we'll learn he's from the seattle area so he gets a chance to wear like rugged warm clothes like most of the year so that's that's very much to his advantage but um anyway we've had a couple of back and forths on uh, dms uh talking about music but I, I can't say we did that much uh that much uh, chatting um but not that long ago a couple of weeks ago just totally unexpected uh, i got a dm from him and it just said something like oh uh dude really been enjoying the podcast and i was sort of like Wow, like I just was taken back taken aback by it because it's always really, you know, you have like an idea in your mind of the people who are, are are listening. And, you know, Evan, you follow his feed and he's just he's very minimal with his captions and we'll you know, we'll learn later. He's just a busy dad and he's doing stuff, so he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of time for captions. But um I just kind of was so touched that he he took that moment to reach out and we started to talk and uh I just said you know, you got any good stories for us? And he said, well, I I might have a couple. So that was basically it. I said, yeah, you you should definitely do it. Because at least one of the stories that that he mentioned was something I knew would would be something that you'd want to talk about, Adam, and that you have talked about. So I just thought it it would be good opportunity also to bring you guys together. Definitely. Well, um, let's read the uh, official intro
0: and get him on here. Evan is a husband, father, cyclist, clothing collector, and beer and scotch aficionado. He works as the controller for a property management company in Seattle. He was born and raised in Washington and attended Washington State University, where he ran track and cross-country for the Cougs. Evan is admittedly obsessed with exercise and traded in his running shoes a few years ago and became a competitive cyclist for the Audi cycling team. And the little spare time that he has not spent riding a bike, he enjoys listening to music, relaxing with the family at his home. Evan, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for coming on today.
2: Thanks, guys. I'm excited to be here to talk to you about some vulnerable things.
0: <laughs> yeah, hey, that's what the show's all about, man. So, you know, um, I definitely know being a busy dad and you know trying to sneak everything in. Uh, we're we're both doing this while our kids are taking a nap, so we coordinated that.
2: <laughs> yeah, we yeah, have those two hours in the middle of the day are like the greatest blessing of my life almost yep. every
0: day. It's <laughs> the ultimate recharge. <laughs> yeah. That's usually when I start hitting the chores that I'm like, okay, I got to do this. And like, I have like this little bit to do it. Give the wife some time off. I'm like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs>
2: totally. Yeah. That's my, that's usually my bike time. I oh, get right a on. couple hours in on the bike and get off and back to, you know, dad work.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what, uh, what would you say constitutes as dad work? Cause I know I have mine, but I'm just, I'm just curious cause it was just funny how the way you said it. Oh
2: man. I, I mean, it, my wife and i are are similar in that we need both need our like recharge time. we're both more introverted, and so like being social and being in a group is like is we enjoy that, but it's also kind of more draining than fulfilling and you know it, it tires us out, so we both need kind of our downtime and so we we obviously parent at the same time throughout the day, but we also try to give each other their own bits of freedom <laughs> to do you know the things that we need to do to like keep our, ourselves fulfilled um, so dad work for me is just mostly playing with my daughter outside and keeping her busy and running around and right now the blackberries are coming in naturally around where we live so we're out there you know kind of trying to find as many as we can and just that good stuff
0: oh yeah sounds great man yeah I love a
2: lot, a lot, of, a lot of tickle fights that kind of stuff. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, we have um we have a couple games we play, but yeah, inside, outside, oh yeah, just keeping them entertained. Cause, I mean, I don't know about you, but like during the whole COVID thing, man, it was it was tough. You know, trying to keep sanity happen, keep kids entertained, but you know, also like have a little bit of personal moments for yourself. So
2: oh, I'm sure yeah. you went
0: through a little hell and a half and back to to where it is right now. It's
2: it's it's brutal. I mean, you know, we live right next to a park, but you can't go play on the toys. So you know, you're, you're kind of more on even than you usually are, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like they need your attention and to humor them even more than they normally do, which is, you know, harder and easier some days
0: depending on the <laughs> yeah, day. <laughs> I feel yeah, Yeah. Coming from someone who's gone out of town to go to a kid's park. Uh, I drove to my oh, parents' yeah. house just to go to a park. So, oh yeah. man. So, Hey, you know, um, Albert and you had an extended conversation about a lot of, you know, vulnerability and training. And as someone that has, you know, been an athlete for, you know, a big part of my, my kids, cur- you know, my childhood, I would say, uh, you know, sports career, whatever that means. Sure. You, uh, you took it further, you um, competed in college and, you know, a little bit in your um, personal life too. Um, how did that kind of affect you? Uh, you know, yourself, um, you know, what it is to be manly and ultimately like, you know, how does that, uh, interact with your kids? Cause I know for me, I can't wait to get my son into jujitsu and, and playing sports, you know, that's a long ways away, but does yeah. that, is there a parallel between that, um, fatherhood and, you know, kind of your own life?
2: I think so a little bit. I, I, I think everybody, um, figures out a way and it, to, to approach it. Uh, I think our, you know, my wife and I is, kind of decision is she's going to do something she's got to be active you know every kid needs to be active and but there's no kind of pushing her in one direction or another she'll definitely do soccer because i think like every kid should do soccer (laughs) just running around and having fun and building teamwork and camaraderie and all these other things but um you know my life was primarily distance running um from freshman year of high school on uh, and I can't say I will push her in that direction at all. It's very dangerous, um, especially for females in terms of body image and, and those kinds of things. So I, I will definitely support her if that's what she decides to do, but it's not something that I'm trying to steer her into at all.
1: <laughs> Evan, yeah. Evan, bring us back in time a little bit and tell us a little bit about high school, Evan. Um, you're running cross-country, but is it, are you in kind of a suburban, more rural area?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Sila, Washington, which actually just has some really bad press, um, probably in the New York Times, about um, Black Lives Matter-related items and making it a criminal offense to draw with chalk on the sidewalk, uh, BLM or Black Lives Matter or anything else like that. But that's where I grew up. Uh, <laughs> very, you know, somewhat diverse, I would say, you know, 60, 40 white, um, Hispanic. There's a lot of migrant workers in, in the Yakima and Sila area, um, cause there's a ton of agriculture out there. Uh, it's the apple capital of the world. Um, so I grew up in Sila, which is a pretty small town. I, to be honest, don't know the population, maybe 35, 40,000 people. So not huge. Um, and I had kind of a one track mind, you know. As soon as I got into high school, it was all about sports and wanting to, you know, compete in college. And I'd always been a competitive, you know, person and athlete, if you will. Uh, so
1: where did that come from? Were you like in a family of uh boys or just amongst your friends? That, a parental yeah, I mean, thing? My, just-
2: I, I have a younger brother, um, my parents who you know are, are still together. Both of them were, you know, athletic, not on a collegiate level, but were, you know, very active individuals that still exercise to this day, you know, pretty much daily. Um, my mom was a you know, really good tennis player and whatnot. And it's funny because she's kind of like this silent assassin. She's the most laid back person you'll ever see, but she's super competitive. And that's even my dad's more, more intense about and outspoken about being competitive, but I would say my mom's probably more competitive than my dad. And so that probably is where the, you know, the nature came in and it wasn't even so much nurture. It was just like born in me.
1: <laughs> so, so in high school, you already had a sense like, I'm going to be competing in college. And so in high school, this is going to be really important to me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even in high school, I didn't care about, Having a girlfriend, going to dances, going to parties, anything like that, it was kind of like a uh, one track mind of get as good as you possibly can at running and try to go to college and go to you know a, a d one school and be competitive and run as fast as you can and all that. so
1: so, so the dream the dream came true. You got into school, Washington State.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I ended up going, I had a number of, you know, schools I was considering and, you know, speaking with, uh, and I ended up going to Washington state in the, in the end and was pretty excited about it. It's kind of the, if you, the local university, if you will, it's not close to where I grew up. It's still about three hours away. It's basically right on the Washington Idaho border out in an even smaller town than CELA. It's a big, just a college town out in the Palouse, uh, a little bit south of Spokane, um, but uh, you know, great D one at the time. It was Pack Ten. Now it's Pack Twelve school, which is like you know powerhouse conference for for distance running in particular. So I was pretty pretty pumped to go there.
1: So you arrive at school and you're feeling what? You're feeling like, oh my god, this is so exciting! I've I've reached my my first of my goals, and you're pretty pumped.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're 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 nervous, of course. You're you went from being the kind of the big dog on the totem pole and at the top of the totem pole to being the the freshman that's at the bottom, and you know that's it's part of the stress of being a college athlete. Is you know everybody that's on the team was the best where they went to school, maybe even the best in the region or their district or even the state, in some cases the nation. Um, so that in itself can be really, uh, mentally draining on, on this, in particular under a classmen because of how much pressure they have on themselves, how much pressure maybe their, you know, parents have on them, anything, but, um, it's, uh, it, it it's a stressful situation to a certain degree, but you're also really excited and you're really you know, pumped to compete and be on a really good team and, and just run fast. Uh, there's a lot of perks to being an athlete, you know it's a different lifestyle than the the average college student lives. Um, so there's you know there are definitely some rewards and benefits of of being a an athlete and a student so, so you, did time. you
1: still feel in sort of a one track mind mode where you felt like athletic performance was very much your your focus?
2: Oh, totally i mean i I chose to go the business route, but as any or I should say as most 18 year olds, um, I probably didn't really know what I wanted to do yet. And I, you know, in reality didn't have any business being in school for academic purposes because I really didn't know <laughs> why I was there. You know, I, I knew get a business degree because that'll get you a good job. Um, and it's kind of, a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fail-proof degree. And so that's what I went with. Uh, but I was really there for, for running.
1: So it, sound, it sounds like, oh my God, you're, you're on track, but, but you know, no pun intended, but when we talked the other day, you said that you, you got into a very strange cycle um, where your, your health began to be impacted. So take us back to when you first started to, to experience something that was, that was not, that was alarming actually.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that mindset that I have or had was, um, not uh, a very evenly weighted mindset to have. I mean, the, the, all the value that I was putting um, on myself and on my kind of being and my daily goals and whatnot was all running. And how good can you be at this thing? And more so than any pressure that any you know team or coach or anything like that was putting on me, it was you know pressure on myself to be. This good, however good that was, um, and be as fast as I can. And you know, when when things don't go your way, as a lot of people in in college athletics uh, can attest, um, you can get start spiraling, you know, into you know, into a bad place. And I ended up getting an injury. I had a pretty bad Achilles uh, partial tear in my Achilles from track. Uh-huh. um and that kind of put me in a in a bit of a rut and you know when you're what year was this putting- is This freshman oh, year still I, no no I was I was a I've redshirted so I went to school I was in college for five years because I redshirted um I was a junior so I still had a, a year after that to to compete but this is my junior year um and I was going into my redshirt because I had been running well enough that my our coaches just kept on pulling my redshirt. <laughs> so I'd go out of the season and it'd be a plan to like redshirt me that year. And then uh, for anyone that's not aware, a redshirt is basically you're on the team but you don't compete with the team, and it gives you an extra year of eligibility. So I was redshirting the idea that your fifth year is going to be stronger than an earlier year because you've developed more obviously. Um, so I kept on running well. And so I get my red shirt pulled and I go, okay, you know, next season we'll redshirt you finally coming into my junior year of cross country. The coach is like, yep, no matter what, we're redshirting you. And on top of that, I kind of had an injury anyway. So it was good timing. But with that, I didn't have any like way to continue to like put value into what I was doing. You know, I didn't have any races coming up. I got hurt. I just started kind of spiraling into a bit of depression. Um, and eventually was totally depressed and was, um, just in a really bad, bad place. Uh, it, I can only speak to my, for myself. I was never suicidal or anything like that, but I, I, I think I told you, Albert, the, the way I ended up feeling was you just have this mindset of like, man, this must be what it feels like to die. Like I must be dying.
0: Yeah, it sounds, oh, sorry, I, I was just saying, it sounds like, you know, the the hope is lost, kind of throwing it back to the the beginning of the of the show here is just, you know, at that point, was there like, what kind of like forward thinking was there? Was it, you know, just live for today or was it live for next season or live for the next race? Like what was That was going the thing on? is
2: that I, you know, I didn't care at that point when you're that depressed, you just don't care about anything. And so my mindset was, you know what? The only thing that I have is running and I like to do it. And so I'm just gonna go out and I'm gonna run hard every single day. And if anyone knows how you're not supposed to train, it's that. You can't go all out every day because eventually your body's gonna give out on you. And that's what happened is I
1: This is after But you had, had, your injury had healed at that point? Or yeah, yeah, I was I you? was
2: feeling pretty good. It, it kind of would ebb and flow. And at this point, like, I had taken enough, like, easy time off. And, you know, I was in the training room for hours a day getting it worked on. And so I, at this point, was was ready to get back to training. And so I kind of, that's what I did. Um, And with the mindset of in the, this was in the fall, mind you, in the spring track, I wasn't going to redshirt. I was going to compete in track. So I kind of had this mindset of like, all right, I'm going to um, be in super good shape and just crush outdoor track season. But at the same time, I was so depressed that I just and was like kind of in an angry state of mind. And so I just ran hard every day and that was kind of my release. And it was kind of the only thing keeping me fully together too, because you know, you get those endorphins and you get that, you know, the runner's high was a thing. And I was getting it every day, like to the max, cause I was hammering every day. Uh, and I kept doing that until eventually my body gave out on me and you just get super sick and kind of
1: fall apart. Wow. Um, so, so you were not really talking to anybody at all at that point about where your mind was at and being no, so depressed no, and hurting and that's, so badly. And
2: that's what's, uh, that's, what's tough is, you know, it's, uh, it's a tricky situation because, you know, the, the, the coaches look at you and you, and I can, I, I can kind of play it off and be like, yeah, you know, I'm fine. I, I was always kind of more quiet and just business-like, you know, it's kind of been my mindset since high school. It's just like, I'm just going to get the job done, you know? And, uh, I was I was running really well I was running super fast and so I was like you know don't bother him he's doing awesome like let's not rock the boat you know um and uh of course you know I was living in a house with a bunch of other guys on the team and it's just not something that 20 year old college kids really know how to even approach it's more of a just like oh just leave him alone you know he's he's running well. Like, <laughs> he's fine. Just don't bother him. It's
1: kind, of I mean, kind of like a classic setup of, of, you know, we're just not going to com- communicate. You didn't feel like you could reach out. The coaches weren't thinking to ask you and, or to pay, you know, it was kind of like, don't right. touch it. Like, let's not go there. They, in a way kind of like, we don't almost don't really want to know because it could mess up the great little uh, uh, place that we're in. Totally.
2: And, you know, I
1: didn't mention it to you.
2: And the last time we spoke, but, I mean, there was the, the star quarterback at Washington State a couple of years ago. His last name is Holinsky, committed suicide. And that was coming off of a phenomenal football season for him. And, you know, it may be a little bit different situation than me because he had some early indications of CTE, which is the, you know, the brain issue. Um, but nonetheless, you would definitely have to wonder, you know, did anyone see it? was it one of those things where it's like, man, this guy's on fire. Just don't, don't rock the boat, you know? Um, And you kind of wonder.
0: Yeah. um, It's kind of like, we all know there's like a wall up there, but we're not talking about it. It's, you know, it's like, hey, let's, let's, uh, you know, are we just all kind of like, you know, eyes shifting around the room, like back and forth? Like, hey, are we all just not talking about it? No one says anything? Okay, we're not talking about it. Exactly. Um, And man, this, that just like, when you were saying that just took me back to like different moments in my life where that totally happened with like my friends and like, you know, different sleepovers we had, we're just like, okay, well status quo, keep the status quo. Everything's, everything's on the outside fine, but it's for sure not on the inside.
1: Um, Right. Well, I'm, I'm not an expert. I don't know how much you you guys have read it. I don't know if this aspect of sports uh, psychology is becoming a little bit more prevalent, and we're and and there's a little bit more attention in the training mm-hmm. of of young athletes to their psychological health. Uh, and if they're not, that should be a direction that that they should go. But I want to just go back a little bit you, uh, to when you said your body broke down. I I when you when you first told me about, it, I was kind of fascinated by the symptoms that came along with, with your body breaking down, what did, what did it feel like to have your body be kind of exhausted? Is that where you were It's
2: like, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a chronic fatigue. Um, and mind you, you're, you're in the 0.1% of the world's population in terms of like physical fitness, you know, you're, you're such a physically fit individual that your body can handle so much and you can take so much of a pounding that to get to that point is an unbelievable amount of mental and physical stress. And ultimately it is, it's just, you're just tired. And then you get physically sick, like, like the flu or, you know, a little bug that normally you'd be able to easily fight off because your immune system is so strong, just totally paralyzes you. and that's what happened. I got super sick and had, got like, really bad flu. Um, and just obviously couldn't train, couldn't run. Um, would go to class, but was, you know, couldn't keep my eyes open barely. Uh, and just was not in a good place.
1: <laughs> wow. Did, I remember you saying something about actually taking time off and going home. Was that at that, at that time, or was that when... Yeah. I
2: mean, I didn't, uh, I didn't go home, but I did definitely take some time off. I took a few weeks off, you know, once I got really sick and you know, there's no really going around that one. It's, it's obvious that this person's, you know, physically ill. And so they need to not run because when you're in that deep of a hole, the worst thing you can do is continue to do any sort of physical activity and continue to bury yourself basically. So I took multiple weeks off um, and then really. Slowly started coming back, which uh, at the time I was running probably ninety miles a week, and so I, you know, was maybe running twenty-five or thirty miles a week, which is you know when you're at that level, twenty-five or thirty is like you didn't, you're not doing anything.
1: So, so did you already begin to have a perspective on your identity? a little bit at that point and saying, Hey, uh, begin to get an understanding out of this, of, of how the, the the mental aspect of what you were feeling was, I'm just curious, like when you're looking at it, when you were looking at, as you were emerging from it, did you have an awareness of the part that, that you played that, that, you know, I'm just curious, like what you thought of yourself at that moment, realizing.
2: Yeah. I mean, when it was happening, I was still mentally just in such a bad place that, I was just even more upset that it was happening. I like just was angry that I got sick and I knew that I shouldn't be running hard every day, but at the same time I didn't care. So I was in this kind of vicious cycle of knowing I'm not doing what's right, but also um, kind of just needing to get this release every day. And I told Albert, and I'm not sure if it's a fair assessment to make, but it's kind of the, the only thing I can think of is, The running every day, in the the mindset that I had, was maybe kind of like someone that uh, cuts that cuts themselves to get a release. That's kind of the way I felt about running and running hard. Was I wanted to like put myself through a bit of pain in order to get some sort of release and maybe get a little bit further out of the hole than I was for one moment of the day. Because I knew as soon as I went home and went down to my downstairs room and listened to those, my same music on repeat, I was just going to go back down into the hole that I was in the previous day.
1: Wow. That's really incredible, uh, incredible dynamic working there. It's like it's a very lonely moment you're describing. I'm feeling very lonely thinking of you. I mean, you're already doing distance running, which is a very lonely sport, yeah. right? like
2: <laughs> yeah i mean it, it was a weird you know thing to look back on it, you know after the fact, I was in a house of like six guys that were all on the team, we had tons of common ground, great camaraderie, and I totally isolated myself out of you know no fault but my own um and I felt totally alone I would. Just, you know, winters in Pullman are super cold, like negative some days, down to zero. And I would just get up and go for walks outside at ten o'clock at night by myself for no reason. Just just like it, just aimless living, if you will.
1: I'm just sorry that Adam and I weren't at the same school because we would have come over and said, Dude, what's going on with you? Are you yeah. okay? <laughs> I know it. And I, you know, I think yeah. it's something that's
2: more prevalent than people realize. You know, you I wasn't some famous athlete or anything, but a lot of people kind of look at the, the athletes at a school as like the, the, the people that got it together, if you will. And that's not the case at all. We're, we're no different than anyone else. Um, uh, Michael Phelps is a perfect example. You know, he has battled some severe depression and he's got more gold medals than anyone in the world.
1: Yeah, I, I saw him on TV talking about the therapy being such a big help in his life. And I, th- I actually thought of, of our story, you know, the story you and I have been talking about. So I'm glad you mentioned Michael Phelps. Tell us then, did you quietly, step by step, not even realizing it, emerge from that? Or was there a, 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 anything that happened that kind of knocked you out of your, that, that no, destructive yeah, cycle you I, uh,
2: I, obviously with the Achilles issue I had, I was in the training room consistently, whether I was, um, hurt or not, just to kind of make sure I was keeping up on keeping healthy as best I could, as far as my Achilles at least. Uh and one of the trainers that worked with us had a, a friend that was hosting like a, a Bible study at her at their apartment and ended up just kind of you know introducing me to the to the leader of that of that Bible study. And he was the first person that I told anything to. Um, and that was it that just that one person talking to one person completely flips the switch at least for me you know and you just I remember the first time I talked to him about it like we're just in this coffee shop on campus and I'm just bawling my eyes out you know like just you know six months of all this pent-up depression and stress and anxiety just coming out in front of everyone in the coffee shop it was pretty wild
0: (laughs) yeah i was gonna say like what did it feel like to just release that just to like let go all of that pain was it kind of like Um, all in one shot or was it more like a gradual thing you
2: just you know and and credit to him like he he was, he's a very, you know, wise individual, a uh, really great guy. And he just, he knew what to say. He knew how to, to speak to people in that situation. Um, and it really, it was like a one time thing. And right after that, I, I can't say I was like a hundred percent better or anything like that, but it, it, it completely 180 change. And I started to be able to like climb out of the hole. And, you know, we started meeting on a regular basis weekly and just talking and it wasn't even necessarily, you know, about what I was dealing with or kind of my mindset or anything like that. It was really just talking to someone about any and everything and that, that over a period of months brought me totally out of the hole and I was in a different place, you know, in the spring
1: Wow, Evan. I mean, it's a kind of amazing because you, what you've just described your experience is exactly the premise of the podcast. The idea <laughs> that it, you, it's like you didn't even have a specific thing is it, that that you needed to to share with this person. You needed to share. You needed to communicate and have that connection because you, you know, nobody you, at, at at some point you did not get that that lesson. And none. Some of us are not ever taught the lesson. That we actually need companionship, that we need connection, that we need to share this thing, that um, it's, you know, it's it's like, it's kind of a wonderful little miracle, but what's so beautiful about it is that it was some, it was so simple, in essence, it was just two people communicating, helped you completely change a very destructive circle that you were in. And that's a, that's a pretty powerful message.
2: Totally. It, uh, it was it's just it's therapeutic you know it was i know there's this kind of unfortunate stigma in our society when it comes to therapy but it's like so essential to take care of your brain and t- take care of you know your amen man just <laughs> your personal well-being and that isn't necessarily your body you know um and it doesn't have to be with a professional therapist it just being able to talk to someone openly is critical to being uh, a human in homeostasis.
0: Yeah, I mean the trust, I mean just the the companionship, the compassion and feeling listened to, feeling heard is huge, you know, and you oh, know it's I mean, massive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so you had this conversation, got it out, you know, you're you're out of this hole. Now, you know, let's flash forward to right now, like, what is, what does that past look like? Like, what lessons did you learn from, from having all those experiences?
2: Uh, Primarily, it's, it's a balance. And it's realizing that your self worth is not tied to one individual thing, your self worth is really not tied to anything, because you are a worthy individual, regardless of how good or not good you are at any anything in life um but for me it was primarily having this balance and being able to compartmentalize everything and like I told Albert uh if you have all your eggs in one basket and you drop the basket you can't make an omelet but if you got them you know if you got them in different places at the end of the day you can still have some breakfast and that was kind of that's the key to to to, you know, living a, a balanced and stable life is not keeping everything and having all your focus and importance in one area or in just one or two areas, you know? I mean, it's a little easier being a dad now because I've got this ultimate responsibility above everything else. Right below that is being a husband. So I've got a, a, a fuller plate and more baskets to put my eggs in, but nonetheless, I mean, it, having that balance uh, is, is critical in different ways now than, than it was then, obviously, but you still have to have your own self-care regardless of, you know, you're no good to your, your, your child or your spouse. If you haven't taken care of yourself.
1: Well, something tells me you're going to be able to give uh, athletes that you might be training down the road, some really great advice about balance. I mean, however we get that balance um, I, that's just absolutely critical. And, And I think if you take it out to the macro level, it's, you know, in our society right now, there's a great feeling. I think of insolvable problems that we have uh, extreme political uh, thought, thinking, and no one uh, communicates. There's no compromise, and you know, we we can't really we don't think that we could talk about anything because we don't actually have confidence that we can we can actually uh, solve problems anymore. And and all it is is really a, a, a having lost sight. And in a way, our society has gone down the path you were on. It as an individual, it doesn't see the alternative. It doesn't see a productive, harmonious uh, uh, approach to life and a balanced approach to life. It's a it's a society driven by this incredible competitive driven. Uh, we were we're only we're only really seeing one one aspect of what's what's important and So that I think that message needs to be You know magnified and I think you really got to the heart Really really well of explaining, you know to get that lesson more than any other because that lesson must has to enrich you in, in You know day to day and day to day life and all the circumstances that come up
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think not All of it, but a a lot of it is just people have their focus in the wrong things, and you know that focus becomes uh, a detriment to how they live their lives, and ultimately that leads them down a a dangerous path. And you know those paths don't align with other people, and that kind of ends up bringing us to the situation where we're in right now, in, in a way.
0: Yeah, it's really tough, you know, kind of seeing this uh individual versus, you know, society perspective because there's like, you know, we're we're out here, you know, the three of us, we're we're trying to be better humans, be better individuals, um, you know, and then we have our our families, our our communities and stuff, but you know, one, one thing I kind of wanted to to bring up in, in the communities aspect of it is, you know, like our, our family units. Um, you know, I'm not sure if you, if you listened to the, the prior podcast, but I've talked a little bit about, you know, loss and and what it was to to go through loss within the family and how it really just affects everyone. I know you and I have, have shared that, that same experience. And I just kind of want to ask you, um, you know, how how was, you know, you versus your family um, kind of going down that road once once hardship hits? Um, oh, man, that was... It was tough. I mean, we... Uh,
2: when we had the miscarriage, which I guess was... Jeez. It was June, four years ago, June, beginning of June. June 3rd, I think, was the day. Um, it was really really hard. You know, my wife and I had tried, have been trying for nine or ten months at that point. So you, you know, you it is stressful. If anyone knows what it's like yeah. to try to get pregnant and not be able this. to get pregnant, <laughs> it is so stressful. And to be vulnerable, I mean obviously intimacy is is a, a massive part of being in a relationship, right? And having a, a fulfilling uh marriage. And when when you can't get pregnant, intimacy goes out the window too. Because it's like yeah. business <laughs> every month, every it is time. Business, yeah, it is business. <laughs> you know, like it is. You're on a schedule. About... You're
0: literally on a clock. <laughs> no, yeah, you are.
2: And it's like, and you can't even enjoy it because you're just like so stressed about. Gosh, I hope this works. I hope it works this time. You know, like I just. it's all you want is like for it to be the the time right mm-hmm. and so you're already in this like rough place with your spouse because you're lacking this this intimacy that you both crave so much but you're both so stressed out about trying to like have a successful pregnancy and you know have your wife get pregnant and it it stops happening and then finally one time it, it happens and then 10 weeks later you go in for your ultrasound and they run the you know the the ultrasound across her stomach, and they don't see the heartbeat. And three weeks ago, they did, and then they run it across again, and they don't see it. And then they say, "Okay, well, let's look a little harder. Let's look over on this side." And they run it across again, and it's not there. And then the doctor tells you, uh, uh, "You're not going to remember anything I tell you. I, I say after this moment, but these are the things you have to do because." You know the the baby's not there,
0: yeah.
2: And then you go through the process of you know kind of cleansing yourself. The the female does obviously, not the the male, but go through the process of cleansing yourself. And at that time, we were uh, going to therapy just for the benefit of our relationship, not because it was on the rocks or anything. We were just like, you know, it's a good idea to go to therapy and just talk to someone that's really good at this stuff to like strengthen our relationship. And, uh, we were so lucky to have already had that kind of connection with our therapist because we were able to go right into talking about the miscarriage immediately after it happened. And, um, we just kind of dove into to reading about it and reading about what it meant and you know a lot of people don't realize how common it is i mean it is not an uncommon thing and i think more than anything the you know the mother feels so alone and feels like there's something wrong with her and you know it's ne- it's never going to work and you know i'm just infertile whatever it is and it happens all the time, but when you're in it, you're like just devastated, you know? And personally for me, like I don't, nothing's happening to my body and I don't have any connection to this tiny little being at that point. So for me, it was so hard to just see the person that you love more than anything in the world that devastated, like just absolutely destroyed
0: that so that was just it brutal hurts so much it it's so painful just to know because for us we had ectopic pregnancies so we actually had to get them terminated and you just go in and you're like okay here's the day that it's that it's all over that we need to start again and you know um i know <laughs> i know so much about what you're talking about and just how you feel the scheduling, the dates, the calendar reminders, you know, the, the text messages yep. of, Hey, it's, it's happening tonight. You better get ready. Right. It's all, yep. it's all bad. But then, you know, like you said, eight, 10, 15 weeks later, they're just like, okay, guys, this isn't, this isn't going to work out and here's what happens next. And from that moment, just the ground just, goes out from you and you're just like putty like that's what I felt I just felt like you could just push me and I would just bend over you know I I didn't feel like I had any substance to me and my wife um you know she's taking it way better than than I am I mean I, I she says she's okay but like she's like I want another baby I want another baby and she's like we're we're counting down to the next one so um it's it there's that and then there's plus the loss and there's you know, we have our mother-in-law living with us. So intimacy is at an all time low. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a process, you know, like the whole, like the first one was for us was very much a surprise. We're having fun, you know, just enjoying life. And, you know, it's the two of us apartment alone, let romance happen anywhere, please. Now it's like, you know, a calculated scientific, like experiment and, it really changes the the second time around. And and that definitely plays with your plays with your head. And, you know, I, I know, if I didn't have the therapy I had, I would be in in a much, much different place. Um, I went to I've been going to the same therapist since I I found out my wife was pregnant, because that was just like, okay, the biggest curveball ever been thrown. Um, (laughs) So yeah, and then since then, you know, we've we've really developed a a good relationship. And, you know. you know we we had two miscarriages this year and it's was, is it was really really hard and you know sex sex isn't the same right now it's just not um yeah, it's no. it, you know it's like we talk about it we're like okay like she's already got the date circled in august is coming you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it's like okay like you know this is this is different we have to kind of swallow a little bit emotion and you know for for that so that's what I kind of want to ask you is like, what, you know, was that before your, your first child or a- afterwards, first and foremost?
2: Before. So we, yeah, we but- only we have one child. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the first time she got pregnant. She miscarried. Um, <clears throat> it was about nine or 10 months after we started trying. So obviously we had the talk mm-hmm. about a year later, we had our year of fun and let's go to mm-hmm. Europe and have an awesome time. And then it was time to like try to start having a kid. And then nine or 10 months later, um, we still hadn't been successful yet. And so we actually had some medical intervention and not full IVF or anything like that, yeah. but, uh, IUI, which is, it's a little bit less, there's some hormones involved to like mm-hmm. bump up some levels to make it more likely and whatnot. Um, and the first time it stuck and we were just like thrilled, you know, and then you, when, when you have a little bit of intervention there, they, they pay closer to attention. So you have a few extra uh, you know, visits and uh so we found out, you know, when we saw the heartbeat at like eight weeks and then by 10 weeks, um it had miscarried and then, you know, you go in and have kind of the, the cleanse, if you will. But my wife, I mean she's so determined, she's such a determined individual that like, I mean, it was like the day that she went in to, you know, kind of have the cleanse, if you will. She was already setting her sights on, okay, when is the next time I can get pregnant? And that was what happened. The next time we went back, did the intervention, she got pregnant again, and we have a three-year-old now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just, that kind of that, like, what's, I don't want to dwell on this any longer than I possibly have to because it's so terrible. I just want to get back to business.
0: Yeah. How did that make you feel? Because for me, I know I've had a couple of times with my wife where I was like, Hey, like let's pump the brakes a little bit. Like I kind of feel like a sperm donor here. Like I, you know, (laughs) like let's let's talk about things here. Like I like I haven't fully processed this. Did you have that conversation with her or anything like that? Or you know,
2: I I kind of took the the role of like when you're ready, I'm I'm on board. Like this is so about it's it's about us but it's really about like when you're ready to get back into it and she's the one that's got to take get the shots and get the hormones and whatnot like that and you know and that on top of just the stress of not getting pregnant you have all this other stress of like having to wake up at 10 i have to wake up at 10 p.m tonight to give my wife a shot in the stomach you know and like all these things that are like super stressful like So as soon as she was ready to take that on again, I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'll be there and I'll be, I'll be ready to do it, you know, so that's, that was kind of the the approach I took.
1: You had mentioned some of the therapy that you had gotten together. Was there sort of a sense that you had developed a a philosophy of dealing with this aspect of, of uncertainty, setback? uh, disappointment, et cetera. It, 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 what, what powered her being so confident to just get going again? Is that something sort of more deeply in her character? You said she's very determined and very, yeah,
2: she's, she's relentless. Um, and so once she's like decided on something in this case, getting pregnant, it's just going to be going, you know, until yeah. it happens Albert, I, I can see
0: that i mean like believe me she has multiple apps of ovulation there's yeah. an ovulation test in in my bathroom right now like yeah and we're not even close we're like a month out yeah it's it's true they're like i don't know what it is but the 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 switch is on and like that's yeah. that's the mission that is the so mission at hand
1: you must have just felt just i mean the, the exhilaration you must have felt with the child being born just, it must, it was, it, it just must've been over the moon. Oh, well, it's
2: a, it's a something else It's wild. Like that is unbelievable. I mean, she had a long, she had like 36 hour labor. Um, and she, cause she wanted to do it naturally. And so we, <laughs> she labored for a long time and, I mean, we had, a, we had a doula that was there like taking pictures. So we have it all documented and it's just unbelievable. I, you know, it's something else. It's not like you see in high school health class. That's for yeah, sure. No, it is like definitely not that. Different, it's a completely different experience.
0: <laughs> it is a miracle of life, but it is not
1: <laughs> like on a VHS tape quality. No. <laughs>
0: it's its own special <laughs> thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty funny. cool. Well you both have uh, you both have young children, and you know you have that that incredible exhilaration and high and and you know you have the 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 dark patches that you've both been through and experience. and now, you know collectively, we've been going through such a challenge um with with the isolation of of you know this this virus, uh, et cetera, and, you know. No matter where you're at, no matter what kinds of challenges you have, family, not family, children, not children, everybody's dealing with so many so many challenges uh, right now. And, and uh, I'm just wondering, you were, you're right there in Seattle, Ground Zero. Just give us a little snapshot of kind of where, you're, where you came from. What, what, what's, what's been your sort of lessons that you've taken from what you guys have been confronting out there? And do you feel that things are beginning to come back to normal?
2: Um. I would say, I think Seattle's not too different from a majority of the United States at this point in that we're just getting a little impatient, in my opinion. I, uh, I think we should pump the brakes on opening some things back up. Um, people are very respectful about wearing masks out here. Everyone's got a mask on. I mean, there's there's a mandate anyways, but even outdoors, uh, on the trails, you know, Seattle's a super active city, um, a majority of people are wearing masks, and if they're not, they're definitely keeping their distance and being respectful of other people. Uh, so it's it's been a pretty positive uh, environment to to be in, I think, in terms of just the general stress that the population is going through anyways, but... Everyone's is is well educated on what should be happening, and that is wearing masks and not being in big groups and whatnot. Uh, and so it's been less of a challenge, actually. I think for a, being a parent because we don't go out (laughs) that often, you know, we have a kid. We don't, we're not, we're not missing the restaurant life and going to cocktail bars and all that stuff that we used Uh to love to do before we had a kid. But, you know, my (laughs) wife just told me today, um, she's like, man, I just really need a date night. Like, and we, you know, and that's one of the things that like we we love our, our date nights and our daycare used to do at least one a month. They would take, the kids from like six to 10 PM and the parents got a date night and we haven't had a date night in, uh, you know, six or seven months, six months, I guess about now. And so we could use date night, but (laughs) other than that, you know, like our general week to week life. I mean, in, in a way, having a kid is kind of a blessing because you miss out on less than what you would as a, you know, more social, individual that doesn't have kids I guess.
1: (laughs) Wow that's a really that's a really good perspective actually. Yeah it's a
2: little I mean I'm trying to be as positive as I can for the you know shitty situation we're in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then on top of that I mean Seattle's also been a center for a lot of the racial uh a lot of the protests and 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 yeah. i'm just wondering in your in your immediate neighborhood was there a, a a feeling of this is very real and you're feeling the
2: yeah i mean i think it's been awesome my my wife's gone to one of the marches she's a nurse practitioner so there was an all provider march in seattle that was pretty big i mean it's probably seven to eight thousand people at least um and she went to that everybody wearing masks obviously um but it's been interesting and it's it's a long time coming and it's something that unfortunately is happening now i mean it should have happened centuries ago in reality but you know we're in a way maybe this covid thing has uh given everyone a chance to step back and have a little bit more time to to address their attention to things that should be you know, paid attention to, you know, everyone's not caught up in the rat race. They usually are. Uh, So there's been marches, you know, all over Seattle. There was one right down one of the main uh, streets right next to where we live. Um, I've had a chance to talk to some of my neighbors who are Black about it and how they feel. And I mean, they've been really positive about it. They've been super excited about what's going on. Um, I've kind of... I have a few neighbors that are from different areas. One of them used to live in Chicago. One of them lives here. And so I've had a chance to talk to him about his experiences in the different cities and whatnot. And um, I feel really good about what he told me in terms of just how he's been treated in Seattle. But that doesn't mean that there's not a problem here, just like there is everywhere else. Uh, Just because it's maybe a little bit better here than somewhere else doesn't mean it still isn't something that everyone needs to pay attention to.
1: Well, I, for one, am just grateful for the the people who are passionate about social justice, um, and, and, and wherever they are across our country, the people who've not who've not who've been watching and not getting involved need to feel a sense of urgency now because it's it, that urgency is going to be needed to sort out um, a lot of problems, the the uh, economic. Uh, collapse uh, uh, of that so many have experienced in their in their lives. People are going to need help um, uh, as a result of, of what happened with this virus. And we have a very, very intense political system, uh, a political period coming up with the election. Um, environmentally, there are a lot of challenges. Like the challenges are are really, really large. And I think it kind of like brings us back to where we started with, with John Lewis uh, and his words. Uh, you actually started talking about it before I was talking about it this this morning. I'm just curious, uh, was he was he a, a a figure that you had followed in uh, in some form, or what what made you? You know, I I had a, I guess
2: known of him, and I didn't really understand to the degree that he had an impact throughout the civil rights movement. You know, I, and I was able to read a little bit more this morning, even just this morning. Um, I'm definitely going to watch that documentary you mentioned because he seems like an incredible individual, you know. And, you know, the fact that the guy's been arrested over 30 times, you know, for just standing up for equality is uh, mind-boggling. And he, he's he been doing the same thing for some 50-odd years now, and we're we're in the same place. And that is just... A massive scar on the face of this nation.
0: Yeah, I can uh, can really agree with that because it, it seems like we're we're all really trying to give give the effort, you know, for the for the conscious ones. But it's still just a, such a, a slow moving process that you know it, it's it's hard to see um, you know the real big big movement and, and big change because you know we're we're only alive for so long and. You know, we don't get to see the the tens of thousands of years of, of impact, but you know, from our conversation today, it really seems like we really have to call out what's what's you know keeping the status quo or what's being unsaid. And I think that's one of my biggest takeaways from from this conversation is, you know, just even if it's sports and uh, you know going too hard and, and overtraining to what's going on with your neighbors. If there is something that's not being said, but everyone knows is there, let's talk about it. Because like you just said, you know, earlier is one conversation really just opened that floodgate for massive change. And that's, that's what's really just, you know, distilled down. That's what's important is we need to have those conversations because your life was completely impacted. Who else? Like who's, who's the next Evan down the line? Who's the next, you know, Martin Luther King who is the next person that is going to have this great life because we just opened up and talked to them and that's that's what I'm really really hopeful for and you know again just trying to see the positive of this because we could spiral downward as hard as we want to right now but there are great things happening and there are good things happening that we need to continue on and
1: where we don't see that happening call it out
2: yep 100% agree. Well,
1: I said I'll say it again. I, I probably I said it to Evan when we when we talked a couple of weeks ago. But the particular day that he reached out to me to say, "Hey, you guys are doing a really good job with the podcast," um, that was a day that I had that I had actually gotten rather heavily criticized for by someone that we had had we had dared to be three uh, white dudes talking about racism. Uh, and it was, there was actually some other some other criticisms, criticisms, and other things that had happened. But uh, Evan, without you, know, even knowing it, your reaching out to me that day really helped me in a funk that I was in. So we we absolutely, um, without having to plan on it on it, uh, you know, we will have an impact just by being positive, even though we're not even aiming to be. You probably didn't really think much when you wrote to me it was probably just like oh I'm just going to communicate with with this guy but it it not only said that emotion helped me out but it also made the connection now that that we've had together talking today um so I don't know this was this was really uh, rewarding and enriching to me and now when I when I scroll through your feed and admire your clothes and feel a little jealous that out in Seattle you can wear cool jackets year-round. I'll also remember uh, Evan's like a really super cool dude and a really caring human being so thank you for being uh, open and vulnerable and sharing your stories with us.
2: Yeah thank you thanks for having me on it's been it's been awesome.
1: Yeah Evan um, thank you so much Ben, any
0: last uh, words before we uh, wrap this up? Go Cougs. Go Cougs. All right.
1: <laughs> right on don't don't well, forget that date night, dude. Yeah, don't, don't forget,
0: forget that date night. night. <laughs> I can't wait for it. I wish there was an app for those. If <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only, man. Well, oh, hey, thanks so much for coming on. This has been another episode of the Beer, Vulnerability Beer Podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Ingrado. And I'm Evan Blanchett. Thank you for listening.